Welcome to American Narratives. I'm Joe Frog. I'm Marianne Pino. And we have Mel McDuffie with us. Hi, Mel. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you? Terrific. Well, we, I really look forward to, to Mel's story. Uh, her narrative is amazing. I've known Mel for a while. But let me give you a little background and context to, from, for our listeners. Uh, currently, Mel is the CHRO of Wallace Foundation. She's been there since last year um, in New York. Previous to that, she spent years with Waste Management, large company based in Houston with a national footprint of $14 billion, 44,000 employees. And while at Waste Management, Mel had a series of executive roles in human resources, her final role being a vice president of HR and head of organizational and talent development. Um, Earlier in her career, she spent time with Quest and Wells Fargo. Uh, Mel is a native New Yorker who got her bachelor's degree from Trinity College in Washington, D.C., and a master's degree from York, St. Uh, York, uh, St. John University in York, England. There's got to be a story there. Uh, pretty impressive. She's also completed executive programs at Cornell and University of Chicago Booth School of Business, great institutions. She has too many uh, honors to mention, but some of the ones that I thought were really interesting is she was recognized by the National Diversity Council in 2016 as one of the top 50 most powerful business women leaders in Texas. She's been recognized by HRO Today uh, three years in a row as an HR superstar, 2016, 17, and 18. And also uh, got the Talent Acquisition Leader of Distinction in 2018. Uh, serves on a lot of select boards and is a keynote speaker. And I'm sure I've missed a lot that's notable, but that just gives you a little bit of a kind of prelude to who we're talking today. Uh, Mel, thank you so much for, in your busy schedule, taking the time to, to meet with us and our listeners. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, we're going to dive right in and let's we sure are. do that. And uh, let's learn a little bit more about you. So, Mel, with everyone's success, clearly there's a personal story behind it. And we'd love to learn more about, you know, where does your family come from? Where were you born? And uh, tell us a little bit more about your formative years. Absolutely. Well, I was born and raised in in New York City, and I am a diehard New Yorker. I've lived uh, outside of New York longer than I've lived in New York. Uh, moved away when I was about 19 years old, but I'm very much a New Yorker <laughs> through through and through. My mother is African-American. My father is Puerto Rican. Uh, both of them still live in the New York area. And, um, you know, I, I, as I mentioned, I moved away when I was 19 years old because I was uncertain what I wanted to do career-wise. So I did spend a little bit of time in the Army Reserves uh, before enrolling or re-enrolling in college and ultimately deciding that I wanted to major in human resources. So tell us a little bit more about that. Why, why the decision to go into the Army Reserves? So I think most children um, feel like they need to pursue a career that's going to make their parents proud, like being a doctor or being a lawyer. And so initially my aim was to become a doctor because it sounded good more so than it really being what I wanted to do. And I began college as a biology major and wasn't really engaged in my studies. So I decided on a whim one day walking down the street, I passed the the army reserve recruiting office (laughs) and I decided to go in and just inquire. I was just there to get information. Next thing you know, I was signed up. (laughs) And I was headed to uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, to begin training as a medical specialist. Wow. 
So I, I joined. I went to Fort Leonard Wood. I from there went on to Fort Sam Houston and met a lot of incredible people who our paths probably would not have ordinarily crossed. But it became clear to me that medicine and the military both were probably not for me. <laughs> you know, so, that's amazing. In the time I've known you, I did not know that you spent time in the, in the military. That is a really interesting wrinkle, to say the least. As part of, so what did you want to be when you grew up? I, I, I mean, when you were in middle school saying, I want to be an HR executive for large companies. I mean, in those formative years, what were you thinking your career, if at all, would look like? You know, I don't know that there's anybody who grows up saying, I want to be in HR. I think that <laughs> Yeah, I've yet to find one, house. but you never know. <laughs> right, right. I, I did not. Um, I, after coming out of basic training, I moved to Maryland because I had family there. Hmm. And I had to get a job. So I got a, a temp job uh, working as an administrative assistant, which I was not very good at. Um, but I was committed to doing good work, but I wanted to know what the people on the other side of the office were doing because that work seemed really interesting. Mm -hmm. And that was the HR side of the office. So I would go over and, you know, ask to get involved in special projects. And ultimately they decided to hire me and bring me on board as a recruiter slash trainer. Um, neither of which I had any expertise or experience but I had uh, leaders who were committed to my development. They saw potential in me. And from there, I decided, you know what? I think this is where I'm supposed to be. I enjoy this. So I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to change my major to human resources management. And I have been in this space ever since. So it's been over 20 years at this point. And as we set up, just as you look at your personal story, and we'll get into career here in a second, uh, who were your major influences growing up? Kind of who were the people that, yeah. that you looked up to that you knew, maybe didn't know, that were important to you as far as shaping your values and your perspective on life? I would have to say, first and foremost, my parents. Mm -hmm. Because there were some very valuable lessons, intentionally and unintentionally, that both of them have instilled in me. My father has probably one of the most remarkable work ethics that I've ever seen. And um, he worked for MetLife for, for many years. And he was that guy who, if his, his day was supposed to start at 8, he was there at 6. Uh, he, <laughs> he was, he's, he's always there. Uh, he's always accountable. And he's incredibly responsible. But just a, an extraordinary work ethic. My mother um, has a lot of drive and ambition. And she, and she taught me things like um, ensuring that I was accountable and being a person who kept their word. And so those are values that I've carried with me throughout my career and they have served me well. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Mel. You know, as we take a look at the influences of your of your life, obviously it's your, your mom and dad, but mm -hmm. what else can you share with us in regards to just growing up in, 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 in New York, right? What did you experience and, and what was that like? You know, growing up in New York was wonderful because it's such a cultural melting pot that you start to believe that the rest of the world is the same way. 
And uh, once I moved out of New York, I learned that it, it wasn't the same. And then particularly, you know, once I got into business, I truly learned that it just wasn't the same experience that I had grown accustomed to, you know, growing up in this, this huge, diverse melting pot. You know, I, I think about one of my, my first uh, experiences and this recruiting slash training role where we traveled to a really remote place in, in Iowa for the organization that I was working for. It was a large mortgage company. And we were there to teach diversity training to a group of individuals who had not ever left their hometown. And so they had not seen nor experienced personally any diversity. And what they had was their images from television or any stereotypes that they held about, you know, different cultures and ethnicities. And it was an interesting conversation. I mean, some of these stereotypes were wildly ridiculous, And I chose in that moment to not be offended, not be defensive about some of the things that were surfaced in those discussions, but instead to use that as a teaching opportunity. And and that's the position that I've taken from that point forward. You know, when I encounter uh, individuals who may not have had certain levels of exposure, that's a teaching opportunity. And so I I treat it as such. It really is a teaching opportunity, right? Learning experience. I'm just curious to know, did you make that? What were you thinking within that moment? Were you going in with that, you know, preconceived notion of not taking it personally? Or how did how did that emerge? You know, it just kind of happened. Because when I walked into that situation, I didn't know what I was walking into. And In my wildest dreams, I would not have imagined that I would walk into a room of people who had not experienced diversity because that was not my norm growing up. And so my belief was that diversity just is. And so to exist and and not be exposed to it almost seemed like something that was an impossibility. So I I didn't have a forethought going into that meeting uh, on that day. But I think what allowed me to be open to the conversation and to choose to teach as opposed to be offensive or offended uh, was that I was curious as to how they arrived at some of the thoughts, ideas, and beliefs that they had about certain groups. So it was my own curiosity that led me to want to engage in a conversation. And I, I think it was mutually beneficial. I learned a lot, and I hope they learned a lot as well. I'm sure they did. I, you know, it's interesting. You talk about your bubble in New York, which mm-hmm. would probably be a very different bubble than rural Iowa. Mm-hmm. But we all end up in a bubble, don't we? And, and we mm-hmm. all often don't know our context until we get out of it and look at it with a new set of eyes. Mm-hmm. And we all, I think there's such valuable lessons that come from jumping out of your context, your bubble, looking back at it as much as possible, honestly. Um, we all become a little more empathic and understanding. And So let's get into your career. I, you, you had a very rich career, um, and, and it's still going. I mean, you've got a lot of runway left, for sure. Uh, you went to Wells Fargo. Um, then you went to Quest Diagnostics. Were you in kind of training role? What were your roles within kind of those roles earlier in your career? So at Wells Fargo, that is the role where I really cut my teeth in HR. That's when I was in the recruiting slash training role. Mm-hmm. 
And then I moved on to Quest Diagnostics, where I that was a pivotal, I think, point in my career because I came into the organization in a recruiting role, feeling really confident about my capabilities as a recruiter. And I had a leader who saw uh, potentially me that I had not yet realized myself. And she wanted to put me into a elevated, broader generalist role that I wasn't, I didn't feel was ready for. And so as she talks to me about this opportunity, I politely declined and said, nope, you know, I, I'd rather stay in this, this recruiting role. I'm very good at it. And I'm not quite as confident in my capabilities in this, in this other role. And she politely said to me, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you that we're going to be in this role and you're going to do amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> what a great person for you at that point in juncture, isn't it? I mean, there's got to be a lesson derived there that if you wait till you're ready, you'll never get it done, right? Right. Sometimes you got to just dive into the deep end and and learn to swim. So true. So true. So so she was, you know, committed to my development uh, and invested in me, uh, gave me the necessary visibility. And, and because of those things, I was able to continue to grow, develop and, you know, continue to advance in my career. And um, found myself at Waste Management, where I was there for actually 15 years. Oh, so I got that wrong. That's an edit at the beginning of 50. <laughs> I saw nine, 15 years. I mean, it's rare to see that kind of stability, especially for someone who's been in some key leadership roles. What kept you at Waste Management for so long? That's a great question. You know, when I joined Waste Management, I did so reluctantly because I didn't know anything about the business. Um, it was a huge departure from the industries that I had worked in up to that point. And um, I just didn't know what was in store for me. But after you know interviewing with some really fantastic, convincing leaders, I decided to take the plunge and accept their offer. And I remember being there probably nine to 10 months into, into my tenure. And I thought, I don't know if I made the best decision here. Um, I felt like I was, you know, woefully underutilized. I wasn't having an opportunity to be challenged and and work on things that um, I thought would make the best use of my talents. And right when I made sort of the, the mental decision that I was ready to move on, another opportunity presented itself. And it allowed me to promote and and move to Pennsylvania, where I worked with some other amazing leaders. And that pattern sort of repeated itself over and over for the course of 15 years. I always have an opportunity to, before I could get bored, uh, before I felt like I wasn't contributing, you know, at my maximum potential, there was always another opportunity that presented itself. And it was fantastic because I was never given sort of a blueprint on how and what needed to happen. I was always given a blank sheet of paper and that kept me engaged because it gave me the opportunity to really be innovative and creative and and strategic in my thinking. And, and, And that is what I look for. So, so that's what you enjoy most is that innovation, the creationary stage of work and you had progressively larger roles that allowed you the palette by which you could paint your picture, so to speak. That's absolutely right, yeah. Now, I love that, Mel. So I think for our audience, right, some people can't just be given a blueprint and run with it as you did. Um, Talk to us a little bit Mm -hmm. more about that. You know, you also mentioned about being mentally ready. 
Um, explain mm-hmm. to us that process for you. Yeah, I think that every opportunity that we encounter in our career serves a purpose. Mm-hmm. And so it there's an opportunity there for you to learn, to grow, and to sort of be molded in preparation for whatever may be next. And sometimes you can overstay your welcome. And early <laughs> earlier in your career... I think it's important to be given a blueprint because you may not have the knowledge and experience to sort of, you know, create and innovate and and be strategic. And so that blueprint is incredibly important. But it's kind of like training wheels. At At a point, you don't need those training wheels any longer. And if you continue to stay in an environment where you are being given training wheels and you don't need them, then I think you hamper your own growth and development. So you have to know when to decide, am I ready for a new role within this organization or am I ready for a new organization altogether? I I love that analogy, meaning that because, in fact, you started your career by being stretched a little bit against your will. You Mm -hmm. kind of volunteered, but not so much, told. And and, (laughs) and it sounds like that set a pattern of doing so through really the rest of your career, somebody who will kind of lean into those new challenges and stretch opportunities. Uh, was that part of the reason for kind of your new role, uh, moving to the Wallace Foundation? What what attracted you about this this current opportunity? You know, it was it was interesting because Wallace found me. I didn't really go in in pursuit of Wallace, but it checked so many boxes for me that I didn't even know that I had. Um, one of which, you know, we talked about just a moment ago, an opportunity to really come in and build a modern HR practice. And so just the mention of the word builds to me gets, you know, gets me excited. But the fact that it's also philanthropy, um, and so it has a huge human purpose, um, is also of of, of great interest to me. And um, as I thought about where I was in my career at that point, I was ready for my next set of challenges. You know, after being with an organization for 15 years, at some point, you get to a place where there's really nothing else for you to do and nowhere else for you to go. And so, and, you know, going back to the training wheel analogy. So now I'm ready for, you know, maybe an, an, an ATV. I'm graduating to something else. <laughs> <laughs> I love these analogies. I'm going to I'm going to plagiarize, you know, regularly some of this stuff. This is good. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that's that's excellent, and, and and so new challenge being contemporary, developing it, building something new at scale, um, being able to put your thumbprint on it in a way that has a positive mm-hmm. impact on the world. I'm hearing all those things are really important to you, and knowing that, having the self awareness around that is so critical. A lot of times, people don't have that, and they don't know why they're happy sometimes and not happy other times. I think you know mm-hmm. what makes you tick. That's really important. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Tell us about a memorable challenge or mistake. I mean, we've all made them. You talk to, to Mary Ann, she'll tell you I make them every day. She's right. It's mm-hmm. kind of what I do. Uh, but what's the big one in the context of your career? What, what's a mistake that, you know, how'd you navigate through it? What did you learn that we might derive some learnings from? Yeah, I, you know, when I reflect over my career thus far, I think one of the biggest lessons learned was realizing that vulnerability does not necessarily equate to weakness, but in fact, it probably is the antithesis. And as a, as a woman and a person of color, many of us were raised uh, with the thought that 
you've got to work twice as hard. You've got to be far better to get half the credit. And so I've always had that in the back of my mind that I, I, I have to sort of show up and I have to be disciplined and I have to deliver. And what I learned over time is that when you are so focused on the results, that it gives the appearance that you're not focused so much on the relationships and the people. And it became less about my capabilities and my knowledge, because at a certain point that was just assumed. But the question was, can she connect with people? Is she accessible? And I just never made that connection, you know, that that was important because my focus was always on getting the work done. And at a certain point in my career, that light bulb went off for me. And I said, you know what, I, I am in this space of human resources because I do have a genuine care and concern uh, for people. And how has that been missed? And the only place that I could look was, you know, introspectively. It was missed because you you hit it. <laughs> and so I've I've learned in my you know my own business maturity that um, it is expected and it's necessary to lead with that, that vulnerability. And so I do. And so I do. I'm committed to building relationships um, and helping people to understand me as a person before I want them to really, you know, learn to understand me as a professional. Uh, You're absolutely right, Mel. I think you hit a key point there, building relationships. Sometimes, so many times people overlook that just in order to get things done right. So Mm -hmm. from your experience, you know, knowing that that wasn't your forte, how did you go about doing that? So I don't know that it wasn't sort of who I was or in my forte. It was just suppressed. Okay. Because outside of work, I'm very much that person. Um, But inside of work, I felt like I needed to be a different person. And again, it was just sort of that that realization that as I'm talking to other people about bringing their authentic selves to work, doing a sort of self-check, am I too bringing myself, my authentic self to work? And when I really thought about it, I don't think that I, I was fully because there was this sort of um, human element of myself that really desired to connect with people and get to know people and share a bit about myself with people that I just didn't allow to come through. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I, I know you're not alone. I, I can definitely resonate with that. But um, well, and I would say that, you know, I hear that story time and again. One is right. a very common narrative of uh, if I don't fit in the what I perceive to be the mainstream, I feel I have to work twice as hard to get half the credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've heard that from someone else a few times and and a lot of others, right? Now, whether that's true or not, that's the narrative. That's the common perception. And, and it puts a lot of stress, yeah. I'm sure, on people and what they feel. And maybe they put some walls up that wouldn't have been there otherwise. I don't know. But, yeah. it, but, uh, but what a great insight. Like at one point, it's not just about the task, it's the people. Mm-hmm. And vulnerability mm-hmm. is not weakness, it's strength. And openness and candor and leaving yourself open connects you with people and makes us all more productive. I, 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 those are stellar, stellar lessons, I'm, honestly, that, that I think are very relevant, especially to our audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And when I think about, you know, where some of that may have also come from, so I mentioned that growing up, these are the things that are sort of planted in your head. But then organizationally, there are some cultural things that I think also uh, create that feeling of, you know, I, I've got to prove mm. that I'm worthy of being here. You know, as I, as I reflect over the last 20 years, this conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion was not always at the forefront. And not to date myself, but I remember early on the conversation was about tolerance. And I, I know what it feels like to be in an organization and just feel tolerated. And quite frankly, who wants to be tolerated? And over time, that conversation began to evolve and people started to talk about diversity. But diversity without inclusion and diversity where you're not really encouraged to bring your authentic self to work starts to feel like tokenism, right? And so you're something to be seen, but not heard. And I know what that feels like as well. And now we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, where it's not just enough to have ethnic and gender diversity around the table, but there's actually an expectation um, that you are contributing and adding value to the conversation and sharing from your perspective and really having an opportunity to bring your authentic self to work. And I think that's also, you know, that evolution in, in organizational culture has helped to sort of help my own evolution personally. Yeah, I, I, I love the, the continuum from tolerance to inclusion, mm-hmm. from exception to being part of the mainstream. Um, and, and, you know, I think we've progressed on that journey, but you've been in a situation where you're, you're a, a, a minority leader among that. That's, a, you know, I think one of only one or two at your level at times at waste management. Uh, how, you know, how was that? How did you navigate a world in which you were not part of the majority? Did you feel different? Did it bring certain and unique challenges to you? And how would you, how would you advise others who might be in the same situation? Yeah. You know, it felt different at different times. I think that as you mature and you become more confident in your own capabilities, then um, you show up a little bit differently. So where in the past I was one of few, um, but I would, I felt like there was this unspoken expectation that I don't uh, step outside of what the norms were. I had to fit into the cultural fabric. And then over time, I said, well, that seems like a colossal waste of my talent if I'm in the room, but I'm not really adding value and contributing and challenging, uh, you know, decisions that are being made or, or sharing, you know, opposing views on whatever the matter was that was being discussed at that time. And at a point, I was able to do that. But the, the other thing I think that is important is understanding that there are still in many organizations so few people of color and so few women in leadership roles that you've got to be intentional about being a, a mentor to others in the organization that look like you. You know, as I think about those that were the most uh, impactful mentors to me in, in my career, you know, it's interesting that most of them were white men. And I had, you know, one or two women of color who served as mentors to me. 
but the majority, again, looked nothing like me. And there's a lot of value in having someone who has lived the same experiences that you have lived that uh, is willing to sort of take you under their wing and uh, coach you and mentor you and invest in your development. So I'm committed to, to being that to others. That's wonderful, Mel. <clears throat> you know, as as we take a look at the trajectory of any career, uh, clearly there's there's definitely some things that might be might seem unfair um, that we experience. What can you tell us about your your experience? Anything that maybe have seem seemed unfair from your perspective that you've had to overcome? Yeah, I think that you know, in anyone's career, you're going to encounter circumstances where maybe you are, um, you feel like the the individual to whom you report or whoever is leading that organization may under undervalue your contributions. Um, and, and it's frustrating because you know, or you feel that you have certain, um, gifts and talents and abilities to offer the organization, but they may not be realized by the individual that is, that is managing you at that time. And it goes back to really just kind of knowing your worth, um, being committed to your own ongoing development, um, doing the work, uh, because there's probably something there that is disallowing that leader to see what your true potential is. So understanding what that is and being committed to doing the work there But ultimately, you know, being brave enough to make the decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to really be allowed to flourish in this environment. And so I need to be willing to step out and find an environment where I am going to be able to flourish. Yeah, you know, it's I totally agree. It's there's some real gems here, honestly. Um, And one of them is, is that I think almost every job goes through a life cycle. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I think at one point the company, the role, and the person need a refresh, and that doesn't mean you failed. That means often you've succeeded, and and you need kind of to play somewhere else. It might be a different role within the company. It might be a different company altogether. But uh, you know, no longer are we in my father's world where he was in the same job thirty years. That that rarely happens anymore. You know, we're not even yeah. in the same company more than often four or five years, and so the life cycles can be short. Um, they can be intense mm-hmm. and we can have, a, a, often not only a number of companies, but different, even career moves over the, a career. That doesn't mean you're a failure. Often it means you're a success and that's completely okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been very helpful. I, you know, again, I, you know, as you think about our audience, uh, people that might be a little earlier in their career, um, they would look up to you as someone that they would like to emulate. I mean, you've, mm-hmm. you've got an executive that, that might, uh, they have a lot of similar life and, and kind of story and history that you do. What advice would you share with them? What, what do you wish that someone would have told you when you were just starting out, you know, in that training, that training role, you know, a couple decades ago that would have helped you? What, what do you want to give to them that you didn't have when you were starting your career? Yeah, I would say that, um, It is important that anyone who has amassed any level of success in their career acknowledge that that probably happened because someone, they were the beneficiary of someone making some sort of investment in them, someone believing in them, someone pushing them. And I think it's important that when you have gotten to where it is you aspire, that you are that to to someone else and that, you know, as 
women in particular, that there is room for more than one of us at that proverbial table. And so as you start to shift from your seat at the table to the head of that table, that you're making room for others that look like you. You know, when I think about how I define success, it's about knowing your purpose in life, growing to reach your maximum potential, and then sowing seeds that benefit others. I could tell you've thought about this. Yeah, that, yes. is, that is really <laughs> There's a lot re- of energy there. there yes. That is, couldn't agree more though. It's it's fast giving it back, developing the next generation. You know that that's our that's our legacy. I really believe it is, and it's part of why why we do this show. Honestly, um, any any other questions for Mel? I know this has been very very fruitful for me, it's and been, I know it'll be for our guests. It's been great meeting you, Mel. Today, thank you so much for for being part of American Narratives. Likewise, thank you again for having me. This has been great. American Narratives is brought to you by CMP, a minority and women-owned firm providing solutions across the full talent life cycle, from recruitment and assessment to leadership coaching and career transition solutions. To learn more, visit www.careermp.com.